The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 313 for Thursday, February 3rd, 2011. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. Premium edition, the show where, well, you know what we do. You're our premium subscribers. You've been here for a while. You've been at this a while. And we do appreciate you being our premium subscribers. Of course, we are here to answer your questions as best we can, share your tips, and uh, and really help enhance your Mac computing life here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in somewhat chilly and definitely snowy Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. So the last show we did, John, was Mac Geek M 312, of course, which we recorded uh, last Saturday at Macworld Expo. And uh, and then finally, if you, you could have watched the live stream, and I, I know many of you did, but uh, but if you didn't, then you uh, you got it in the feed, uh, the audio in the feed on Tuesday. And then, of course, uh, the video is up on the site at MacGeekM.com. Uh, but right after we did that show, John, uh, well, we went out to dinner quick and then I ran to the airport because I had to take the red eye because there was some flight scheduling fiasco that Virgin wants to blame on weather, but it has nothing to do with weather. Uh, and so I took the red eye and John, I have this theory about and I've taken the red eye before and it, it there is a convenience there, but it's odd because, you know, you start one day like Saturday morning. I started Saturday, I have a full day Saturday uh, and then I got on the plane and then it was Sunday and I had a full day Sunday and I didn't really sleep a whole lot. Even if you sleep the entire red eye, you aren't sleeping much, but I didn't sleep much at all, maybe an hour or so. And so it's like I traveled through time, right? Because I woke, I had like Saturday, day, you know, it was just one big, long kind of day. And, and it, the red eye is like traveling through time. And, you know, you watch those movies and, uh, and whenever people travel through time, they suffer time travel sickness. Well, I think that's the same thing that happens with the red eye. It totally wears you out. And it's time travel sickness is what that is. It's not just like because you're overtired. It's time travel sickness. You've actually cheated the universe out of uh, at least a couple of hours. And so it's time travel sickness, man. That's what I'm that's my story. I'm sticking with it. All, all I know is I had a very pleasant return trip. And I, I think I'm, I'm back in the swing of uh, East Coast time. But OK, so number one, Dave, when I flew back, I was dreading one thing. So I was a cheapskate and I did the I didn't do the parking garage at Bradley. I did the outdoor. Ooh. But but no, it, it worked out. I, I was but I think it, it was just keeping the universe in balance. So based on the hell that I had coming out, which uh, you've all heard about this, if not, you know. Contact me offline and I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> Spending the night in the airport. But when I landed, so, you know, take the shuttle to the parking lot. Lo and behold, Dave, my car had no snow on it. Beautiful. That is it, that is karma coming right back and giving you a nice smooch on the cheek, isn't it? And, and, and I asked the attendant, I'm like, what's up with that? None of the cars did. And she's like, the, the winds were so high during the storm that it blew all the snow off the cars. Yeah. Yeah. We've been and having I, fluffy snow this winter, too. Yeah. 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 And then when I came back home and this is the other thing I was dreading is I thought my, uh, you know, my, my uh, driveway and, and sidewalk would be buried. I have the best neighbors in the world because what did they do while I was away and they knew I was away? The neighbors on one side knew I was away and they dug out the sidewalk and my parking spot in my driveway. So wow. they are awesome. That did you a solid. And, wow. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. And I've been helping them out, you know, shoveling, which, uh, you know, I still shake my fist at the people in the neighborhood who decide <laughs> that they really shouldn't have to shovel the sidewalk. I mean, come on, it's a community. Anyways, enough about the weather. So let's talk about uh, Macworld Expo. If there's if there's any final thoughts you have, John, I mean, I, I know obviously on uh, on Saturday's show, we talked about some of the cool stuff we found. Uh, there's actually stuff on my list that we didn't get to. Um, and we'll save that for another cool stuff found show. And I, I'm sure you have some stuff, too. But uh, but anything that uh, that comes to mind that you want to share about uh, about the show that's been running through your head? Just, you know, to me, Dave, the flavor of the show, and it's funny because I've heard some people say, oh, I don't know if this is going to be the last Macworld. And, and, and I just got to say, for me, Dave, it, it was a total success. There, I didn't care that the big vendors were not there. Oh, got to mute that. <laughs> I didn't care that the big big guys weren't there. And, and personally, I don't care about the big people. I care about the small vendors, both in the mobile app showcase and the independent area and we pointed out a lot of that stuff and and uh, for me dave it, it was 
totally worth it to be at the show to meet up with the people who had the you know the small companies that had the innovative products so i i you know of course meeting all our colleagues and uh, you know to me it was you know half learning about new stuff and half just the uh pleasure of the social and business and and other interactions so i that's my my recap there i i i look forward to uh next year's show yep I couldn't I couldn't have said it better myself there. Like I said, there's a couple of products I want to mention as we uh, as we move forward here. But we'll 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 do that in a couple of weeks as uh, as uh, as that comes around. But, yeah, as far as the flavor of the show, I agree entirely. It uh, the vendors that were there and I didn't miss seeing anyone other than maybe Microsoft. That was kind of a weird thing for me to not have them there with Office 2011 just having come out for the Mac. Uh, yeah. that, that was sort of a surprise, to be honest. But uh and they have the money as far as I know. Well, you know, um, they were sponsors of Cirque de Max. So maybe they spent all their money on that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you charge? <laughs> but uh, but that was that was the only surprise. But again, it didn't really matter. I actually get to see my my contacts at Microsoft anyway. So, you know, so that part of it, the networking part of it took took uh, took care of itself. But yeah, the, the great little vendors, the new stuff on the floor and then uh, and then the networking, the social and business and all that good stuff. So. All right, let's uh, then let's get to it. Tom wrote in and he said, uh, I have a time capsule router. Is it possible to use this as a backup disk, but not as a time machine backup? I use time machine on an external drive that is bigger and would like to use the time capsule as a regular backup disk. John. Yes, Dave. Oh, okay. Next question. (laughs) And the good news is, yes, you can do this. Uh, and, and I understand the dilemma because, of course, the hard drive uh, inside of that machine, you know, you can't easily replace. I don't know if I, I'd recommend that. But the thing is, you can certainly make it. And, and I guess this is not default behavior on this, Dave. I'm going to assume. I, yeah, I think, you know, when I read your answer in the uh, in the show prep, I guess you're right, because I've I've set mine this way and I'm sure you have, too. So go ahead and tell the people what we're talking about. So what you want to do is the airport uh, or the time capsule can appear as a shared drive, which is which is the goal here. So what you want to do is you want to start up airport utility. You then want to click, uh, I think the easiest way is click on manual setup, then disks, then file sharing. And there's a file sharing tab. And once you click on that, you will then see a little checkbox. And I'm looking at it right now that says enable file sharing. Well, you click on that. And then, then there are, are some other options, which are kind of interesting. So then it says secure shared disks. And there's a number of options here with accounts, with disk password, with time capsule password. I, in my case, I have the time capsule password. You can remember this password in the keychain. And then there's something else, airport disks guest access. Now, in my case, I don't allow that. Now, you may want to. Uh, I don't know. It depends on your environment. You got to yeah. think about that. And then and then the other option that's kind of interesting, share disks over WAN. Now you want to be careful about that. I don't know if I would recommend that because that means, you know, WAN being wide area network, that means you're potentially sharing that with with the entire internets and that may not be a good idea. But you can do it if you want. Sure. So so the answer is absolutely. And if you do enable this, then what you're going to see in your finder if you have the sidebar enabled is you will see the shared section you will then see that disk that disk show up there so the answer is absolutely yes you can do this and and yeah that's a good good use as any of the hard drive within the time capsule if you're not going to use it for time machine yep cool all right uh moving on to ken ken writes i noticed a strange subtle sound from coming from across the room at first I thought it was baseboard heating pipes, but I isolated the noise and it was coming from my airport extreme base station. Uh, it is running the 752 firmware and the light is green. Airport utility says all is well. Uh, listen to the attached audio file. What the heck is this? All right. And we are going to play this sound here for all of you. And then we'll join in a little bit of troubleshooting fun. Okay, uh, there's more, but but the, but I think we got the EQ right so that you could hear a, a little bit of that. 
as soon as I heard this sound, well, go ahead, John. I, I, I had some thoughts about this, but, but go ahead. Go ahead. Well, he said it sounded like a dot matrix printer, which I would agree. It uh-huh. does kind of sound like a, if, if some of a our very, listeners may, may very, not know what that is. But yeah, it sounded yeah. like a printer. A very quiet printer. I mean, you got to remember, this sound isn't nearly as loud as we just cranked it. And even that wasn't that loud. Right. Right. So, so to answer Ken's question, no, that it, it, as far as I'm concerned, Dave, that is not normal. The, the, any wireless base should not make any sort of noise. Now, my experience, Dave, when I have heard devices, electronic devices make noise, typically my experience has been it's something probably in the power supply circuitry, perhaps a capacitor that is about to fail and it's going to make noises. Now, it could be something else. It could be an inductor. It could be a crystal something like that. But again, my, my response is no, that is not normal. Now, if it was a time capsule, I would almost say that it's probably the hard drive starting to fail. And they did have a repair program for some of the time capsules where they did have power supply. So, so I'm wondering if maybe it is, although it's a airport and not a time capsule, if there is an issue with the power supply, Uh, but that is my initial guess. And again, when I've heard electronics, make audible noises that a human can hear, it's typically something in the power supply. So that is my take, and my suggestion was bring that in to the Apple store, to a service provider, somebody, because I I don't think, uh, I think its days are numbered. Yeah, so when I heard that sound, I thought, ooh, I've heard this before. And, and I think you're right. I think it's something in the power supply. When I've heard it, it's been when, you know, I've had... Uh, two things plugged into the same circuit and there's a little bit of interference. For example, uh, Mm -hmm. if he's got a hard drive plugged into that same circuit, that might be getting some feedback interference. That's causing something to vibrate a little bit strangely inside his power supply. Uh, Either if the power in the house is inconsistent or maybe a little low, uh, it, it might cause that. And I've, I've heard this before. So certainly worth, if you've got Apple care, certainly worth uh, having them check it out and they might swap something out for you, but it could just be another device that whose who's uh, whose power signature. This is sort of amplifying, right? I, I think I've certainly seen that in the past uh, and wouldn't surprise me if that's what was going on here too. The only other thing I could think of is if there are speakers nearby, mm. I mean, sometimes speakers pick up weird signals, especially yep. with weird RF around. Or if there's a radio near. Now, he didn't say this, but, but uh, radios can also pick up. Uh, I mean, it all, at first, I almost thought it was a, a AM or FM radio picking up some weird stuff, but probably AM. Right. I don't know if the kids these days even know what <laughs> AM radio is. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that, that's definitely not normal. And, and uh, again, bring, bring it to somebody because I, I, I think it stays or, uh, yeah, it, it, it's complaining in a non-obvious or a fashion it should not. But, but yeah, that's not good. Well, it, and it, to be fair, I actually disagree a little bit. I, I, I think Ooh. it might not be a problem with the unit at all. I think it's just it, it's electrical interference. And this is how this unit behaves in that in that situation again worth getting it checked out to make sure well, but i wouldn't be surprised if it comes back and you have the same issue with the replacement um if you know you've got to figure out it's possible the airport extreme is causing this interference on its own or right. uh, it's also possible it's coming through the power lines and, and well, if that's the case then okay you well to wrap it, it up i don't know what it's plugged into if it's plugged straight into ac you may want to, uh, so I don't know, but, yeah. but I'll guess here. Yeah, you, you may want to get either a filtered, yeah, either a surge or, yeah, some sort of, uh, uh, I'm thinking it may be plugged directly in. And maybe it's just, yeah, as you said, Dave, it's picking up some weirdness yep. in the electrical signal or the variation in the frequency or something. So try a, if if you don't have it already, uh, plug it into a filtered power source yep. and maybe that'll fix it. Yep. Good call. Good call. Yeah. UPS might be, uh, might work well to a battery backup of some sort to really condition the power. So, um, all right. Uh, so I'm sure that, uh, that Ken captured that audio with his iPhone. Uh, but Douglas has a question about capturing audio in general. Uh, in fact, he's got two questions. Doug says, uh, 
What is the best way to record and save just a portion of an audio file? For example, you may explain something on your show that I want to save without having to save the entire show. I just want to save that clip. Is there one way to do this from several audio output programs, such as iTunes, QuickTime, a CD, etc.? Okay, so you've kind of asked two questions here, Doug. I mean, it, it certainly one answer could uh, encompass both, but I want to address the first thing first. And then sort of the general answer that would that would do all of this. So if you want to take part of the uh, Mac Geek Cab audio file, I would recommend using a program like Fission, which is from Rogue Amoeba. In fact, I'm going to talk about two different pieces of software from Rogue Amoeba here. Uh, and and what Fission is, is is a an audio editor. So the idea is you'd pull this file, either the MP3 or the AAC into Fission Find the piece of the audio file. You'll actually see a waveform of the audio file on the screen. Highlight the piece that you want and you can play it to make sure you've got what you want. And then you can trim it down to a selection or save the selection out. The cool part about Fission as compared with lots of other audio editors uh, is that Fission will do it non-destructively. It will not recompress the MP3 or AAC file. Uh, you know, MP3s are compressed audio and that's what we push this show out in or, or AAC. And normally you've got to kind of read, read it in and then recompress it on the way back out, which can cause some artifacts and that sort of thing. Uh, Fission does some magic and actually leaves it intact. So it's, it's exactly as you had it originally and also saves you some time because it's not recompressing anything. So, so that's why I like Fission for this, but, uh, but you know, there's some free stuff available too. I think, um, like audacity, right? John is, is a free editor that is going to recompress, but it, at least you're not paying, you know, if, if it, if it's something where you don't care about the, the resulting quality, you can, you can mess around with it. So like that. Mm-hmm. So any, any further thoughts on that, John? Well, you know, I found something else, Dave. So I was digging back. So, you know, I'm a retro type of guy. I don't no. like old tools. No, <laughs> no, that's well, Hey, Hey, I'm going to counter you. Guess what I ordered today, Dave? Yes. Oh, finally, uh, you got that. You got that uh, that bamboo steamer to to cook those vegetables <laughs> in, didn't you? <laughs> no, but I uh, I you know I I wasn't up at three a.m. because, in my opinion, it's just a phone, dude. But but no, I so around uh, nine nine o'clock or so, I went to the Verizon site because I do get the uh, and I don't know if the Apple site offered this, but I ordered uh, my Verizon iPhone. All right. No, you know, cool. with the basics, I got the 16 gig, you know, I got the basic data plan and all that stuff. Didn't get any hotspot stuff because I really don't need that. But I am, you know, advancing my uh, my phone. And and once I get it and I'm happy with it, I think I'm going to smash the crazer. That's so cool. Can you videotape that already. with your iPhone? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. I could do movies with that. I'll tell you, you know. Uh, this iPhone 4, I know we're totally on a tangent here, but that's cool. Yeah. Uh, this iPhone 4 with its camera and its, its you know, five megapixel camera and its flash. It, it And, you know, a lot of times I wind up using the HDR mode, uh, the built-in HDR mode instead of the flash. And that works almost better in a lot of scenarios. But uh, but this camera with its flash, it I was never one to carry a camera around. Now, I'm curious with you and see how, how you use it because you are a camera guy. So, you know, you are known to carry your camera around. But for me, for, for what I've seen for, I mean, you have limitations. Sure. I mean, yes, course. it's five megapixel. I, I would say the biggest limitation is the lens. I mean, you only get so much out of a teeny weeny little lens right. versus like the lens I have in my current camera, which is a, a Leica lens. But, I mean, you're not going to get better than that, but it does pretty darn good yep. i think for a cell phone camera it's probably one of the better ones based on the results that i've seen from people so i'm, I'm curious to, you know after a month or so of using it oh one thing i wanted to mention to you you and you probably have heard about this but uh, but for john for you and then of course anybody that's got an iphone 4 or is getting one be really aware of the impact that your case may have on your ability to take pictures especially flash pictures um, I had, uh, I was using a case at, uh, at Macworld Expo. It's the Techion uh, case. I want to, it was actually mm-hmm. one of the things I wanted to talk about in the show. It's a, it's got a battery built into the case and it's cool, nice. but, uh, it, part of the, one of the cool things is that it has a switch on the bottom so you can either use the battery or not. And when the battery is in use, it doesn't charge the phone. It merely powers the phone. So you're not 
you know, hmm. running your phone batteries all over the place. You know, you can, what I would do is I would, I'd charge the whole thing up and you can charge both uh, with one plug. You plug a little mini USB in and, and it, uh, it charges the phone and then the, the external battery, but it's really slim and a really a slick case. In fact, if you look at the video uh, of, of Mac Geek 312, you'll see me take this case off of my phone, but it was really, really thin. And, uh, and so I would let it get down to about, you know, 50, 60%. And then I'd kick on the battery and that way I know, okay, I've got, you know, basically a, a double charge going here, but when the battery runs out, I've still got some, some extra left in the phone itself. And, uh, and that worked really well for me. However, I wound up taking some pictures actually after I got home and I was like, why do these look so cloudy? And I realized it was because the flash was reflecting off of the, the case itself and uh, and making things look a little funny. I had a similar issue with I'm trying to think an earlier case that I got, and I don't want to mention the wrong company's name, so I won't. But it was a, a blue case, and when I took a picture, everything looked blue. And uh, and so you get, you just got to be aware, you know, do some A/B testing so that you're you know what your limitations are with uh, with whatever case you choose to put on the phone. And I actually have, which I think will work on this, Dave, but I have a, uh, uh, is it a Richard Solo 1800, which yeah. works on my iPod Touch. And I, I would assume it's a nice little 1800 milliamp hour battery yep. that, that I plan on using on the iPhone. Anyways, back on track. Back on so, track. So what I was going to mention here is the piece of software I found now being, uh, I was mentioning retro because not everybody may have this, but I found, and I remember this in the back of my mind, Dave is QuickTime player seven. Remember that I do or QuickTime pro. And, and that is one utility that I still have on my MacBook or my MacBook Pro, and that had a feature. Now, I think it was only a pro feature, or maybe it was a regular feature, but you can load an audio file, and I verified this. I actually loaded one of our podcasts. Okay. And it has, and I, I think you're the audio guy, but I think these are called scrub marks, Dave. Okay. Yeah, like the, the, little the marks on the bottom. On the bottom. Yep. So when you load an audio file, you will see uh, these little kind of arrow things on the bottom. And what you can do is if you hold on the control key, so you drag them to where you want to go, but I think you have to hold down the control key. But you can actually cut and paste or identify a portion of audio yep. in QuickTime Player 7, which will run under Mac OS X. I, I, I guess it's a uh, you know, PowerPC app, but it mm -hmm. still works under Rosetta. And I was able to do an audio snippet. Now, uh, unfortunately, I guess the QuickTime Player that's in the latest OS X does not do this, but, but the legacy one will do that again i was able to move the scrub marks do a copy and then create a new audio file and paste so that's a another solution for doing that can you do a get info on quicktime 7 i i think it's a universal binary i don't think it's power yeah, pc code yeah 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 i just want to make sure we inform people correctly and i don't have it on this machine but i ran it actually ran it to pull the audio out of the movie file that I got from the folks at Macworld for the podcast on Tuesday or Saturday, whatever day it was. You still working over there. I, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to start talking about this other answer here, John. So uh, it, it, the second part of his question or really the second question was, uh, was where Doug said, is there one way to do this from several audio output programs, such as iTunes, QuickTime, a CD, etc.? And yes, there is. Uh, in fact, that's exactly one of the things that Audio Hijack Pro, also from Rogue Amoeba, is built for. It's fantastic for this. It's uh, the idea is, you know, QuickTime, iTunes, these programs output audio, but there's no facility in the OS for grabbing that audio and uh, and and recording it or saving it or anything. You can hear it out of the speakers. But, you know, if you hear something in Safari, there's no way to say, yeah, save that to disk unless that's a function built into, you know, the, the type of file it is or what have you. Well, that that's where Audio Hijack Pro comes in is uh, is you can tell it. Yeah, go hijack the audio from iTunes, QuickTime, Safari, what have you. And. And then you can do things with it. You can send it to a certain output source. You could run all kinds of effects on it, 
or you can record it to a file and, and you can choose to record it to a compressed file or an uncompressed, you know, you can go, you can go nuts with it because that's what it's built for. In fact, when you hear us play audio comments or the theme music or anything, that's audio hijack pro grabbing uh, the audio from Yojimbo, which is where I happen to choose to store all these sounds. Yojimbo doesn't have a facility for playing sound out through specific devices, but audio hijack pro sure lets me route it any way I want. So, so yeah, that's, that's the other option for you there, Doug is, is something like AHP. Okay. And one more. Yeah. So go. I'm follow up. So number one, Dave, I'm actually surprised here. And then I'm looking at QuickTime player seven on my MacBook pro. Yeah. Application Intel. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought that was new enough to be, to be uh, Intel. Okay. Compiled. So if you still have that from the past and the other app I'd mentioned, Dave is what I'm using right now uh, to do the backup audio is wiretap studio. Oh yes, of course. Uh, it, I think it's uh, not as full featured as some other programs. It, it only provides, I think two audio feeds or at least the version I have here. Okay. Uh, I think that they may have a, a more fully featured version, but Hey, I'm, uh, you know, so right now I have it doing line in and Skype as right. two inputs. So it right. collects all the input in, in case, you know, you have a catastrophic failure on your end and you're like, Oh, John, I need the audio. So, uh, that's right. It's always, yeah. a, always a good thing. Never have a, as we've discussed, never have a single point of failure. Yeah. So if your computer explodes, I will have a backup of the audio. Yeah. As long as, you know, everything else is okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, we got an email from Joe. And I think we ran into Joe out. It, I think it's the same Joe that we ran into at mm-hmm. Macworld Expo. But Joe writes, I decided this is a geeky thing to do, man. And this is cool. I decided to leave the console program running and look at it occasionally to see if I can learn anything. I noticed a lot of stealth mode connection attempts, which I don't understand. Uh, was this an attack on my system? Uh, and and you have the uh, you have the video, the uh, the image. there. Oh, I've got it right here, too. Uh, and essentially what he's seeing is something where it says the firewall indicated stealth mode connection attempt to UDP and then gave his IP address uh, from the IP address of his router colon five, three John. So what he was saying, yeah, to, to be a bit more specific. So it was stealth mode connection attempt to UDP an IP address and a port from another IP address. And here, here is what clued me into what was happening. Okay. So at the end of the message in the console, it was, uh, which we're not giving anything away, I think, 10.0.1.1 colon 53. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's the key. So the, the, the first port is pretty much random, but the second port, when I saw that, so number one, the IP address of the from was a dot one. Now, I'm almost absolutely 100, well, 99.99% certain that's the router. But the 53, that's the thing that caught my attention. What is 53, Dave? It's DNS. Absolutely. So I did a little search online, and, and DNS, or domain name system, is the system that converts IP addresses to names or names to what? Well, yeah, IP addresses to names. Or names to IP addresses, right? One names to IP addresses. Well, it can actually do either, right? But but yes. Right. Yes. So here's what was happening. And actually, I did a bit more digging, Dave. And the thing is, this is an oddity, I think, with DNS, maybe on the Mac or just in general. So what was happening? So number one, port 53 DNS. No, someone is not hacking into your system, at least I don't think so, unless they're very clever and are trying to hack in through DNS. What was happening, though, and I did more a, di- a bit more digging, Dave, this apparently is a delayed DNS response. Okay. On UDP, which is weird. I, I looked online and I found this in, in some Apple discussions saying, yeah, the reason this is coming up is because the response is beyond the window of time that the firewall considers valid for this response to come in, so it flags it. I mean, it's not blocking it, but it's, it's warning you about it in the console. Right. So my conclusion is, no, this is not something to worry about. As long as your DNS is not malfunctioning and that you're not getting DNS lookups 
or very slow responses. This is just a little idiosyncrasy in the firewall of Mac OS X that's telling you about that. So, so I guess the, the, the key takeaway from this, Dave, is the source address, or the address at the very end, so when it said 10.0.1.1 colon 53, that's where you want to start exploring. If you think that something weird is happening, I would look at that first and, well, number one, if it's coming from your router, that's probably okay, which 10.0.1.1 is your router. In and this case, it's, that's right. not always the address of your router. But, Correct. But in, in this case, we're almost certain it is. That's right. Right. And and the port, so so... And and you can do the Google foo and say, you know, TCP or UDP port 53, and it will tell you what the service is. In this case, because it's the DNS service, I would say it's not something to worry about. And because I found an Apple support article saying that, yeah, this is kind of a little hiccup in, in the stealth mode or the firewall, nothing to worry about. Cool. Good, good geeky stuff there, Joe. Uh, this is, uh, it's good. It's clear that, uh, that listening to the show is having an impact on you. I'm, but, I'm not sure. But you know, stealth sure mode, thing, Dave, but. I mean, uh, the thing is, uh, uh, I don't know if we want to talk a little bit about stealth mode. Stealth mode is, could be problematic because the thing is it may, maybe tell, not tell so them, much. Tell them what you mean by stealth mode. All right. Stealth mode is if you go into and, oh, you caught me with my, my that's oh. okay. It's system, <laughs> system preferences, security firewall right uh, let's see security uh, hold on we are live here oh gosh system preferences <sighs> type in right. password advanced yep all right stealth mode so stealth mode you're right dave so that's the path and stealth mode don't respond to or acknowledge attempts to access this computer from a network by test applications using icmp <sighs> so I, I can't remember what, what that what the, stands for. I, no, no, but, I'll but, tell but, you. But, oh, okay. Go ahead. Well, go. But, but I, I don't remember off the top of my head what that stands for. But what what stealth mode will do is, for the most part, make your machine invisible to casual attacks on a network. Normally, an ICMP. One of the things you can do with the ICMP, uh, Internet Control Mapping and, Protocol, something like that. I'm going anyway, to step in here because because that's a little it's a little misleading. I, it, stealth mode does not protect you from any attacks whatsoever, right? It okay, protect, okay. It, right? It protects you from people sniffing around using a very rudimentary protocol that's commonly known as ping, uh, which sends out a request and expects one back if there's a computer there. You're by, by turning on stealth mode, you've essentially told your computer, if someone pings you, don't answer. And that's pretty much it. There's no attack, but it can help keep you from being attacked because if somebody does a scan of a ton of IPs in a range right. and yours doesn't answer, but another one does, well, then the, the person who scanned might say, all right, let's attack the one that answered the one that didn't. We don't even know if there's right. a computer there. So, right. That that's really what stealth mode does. Right. The, the the only downside on stealth mode is that there may be, and an, again, it may not be so much in a home environment, but in an enterprise environment, a lot of tools, network management tools, one of the basic things they do is say, hey, who's out there? And they may do a ping. Right. And if somebody doesn't respond, well, that that's bad. Right. So uh, I would say in general, for an individual enabling the stealth mode, if you're worried about attacks, as as, as you said, Dave, it makes it so that your computer will not respond to a ping or an ICMP probe, which is, hey, if somebody can't see you, <laughs> then they can't attack you. Well, they so, could yeah, no, attack you're right. you, though. Well, it, it, no, you're right. It doesn't prevent attacks, but it prevents you from showing up in a casual ping sweep of a network where somebody says, hey, respond to me. Right. But clearly it does more than that. If it's showing up mm -hmm. on a DNS on an if, if it's showing up as the reason it didn't respond to a DNS, uh, a delayed DNS coming in, then clearly stealth mode is doing more than just not replying to pings. Or at least yeah. it's logging more in the firewall, which is it, it's just interesting from a from a very geeky standpoint. So. All right. Moving moving on to Jeremy. Jeremy writes, uh. I just got my MobileMe activation code today and started setting it up. I followed the instructions to activate my iPod Touch and iPad before setting up MobileMe and system preferences on my Mac. When on all the devices, I chose to sync everything available. 
For some reason, mail did not show a MobileMe inbox and there were no notes and neither iCal or mail showed a test to do item because they don't really work. Uh, uh, at hmm. least not across, not, not to the iPad, right? There's no way, not, not to the iPhone or iPad. There's no way on iOS to see to-dos, but you can see notes and, and calendar items, of course. So I went to the individual apps and found no mobile me account in either, despite the checkbox being checked in system preferences. But my calendar was on the me.com website. I added the accounts to both apps manually on my Mac. Mail showed notes and the test to-do, which I'm assuming... Well, I mail would show it to do on the Mac. That's right. Uh, I moved my notes from being on my Mac to mobile me and they began to sync correctly. But then I started getting duplicate information on my iOS devices. All my notes were duplicated. And in iCal, my non subscription calendar is now mostly duplicated. For some reason, some events are only there once. Of course, if I look at me.com, the calendar and notes are correct. And checking off the to do in iCal automatically checked it off uh, in mail which is correct. Did I do something wrong in setting up my accounts? Okay. Uh, yes, I think you did. My guess is that you were syncing over USB with iTunes. Every time you, uh, every time you synced your iPhone or, or iPad, you had it set to sync calendars and notes and all of that stuff across. So when you set up mobile me, you duplicated the syncing, of course, mobile me is doing it over the air and, and you wound up with duplicates. So uh, if you're, if the, the general kind of principle is if you're use, if you're syncing one way, i.e. with mobile me, you don't also want to be syncing the same data over USB uh, to check this. You have to plug your iOS device in launch iTunes. If it doesn't launch automatically uh, click on your device in iTunes in the left there, then click on the info uh, button or tab at the top of that screen and ensure that the following boxes are not checked. Again, what I'm about to mention here are boxes that should not be checked. Sync address book contacts is the one sync. iCal calendars is the second sync mail accounts is the third and sync notes is the fourth. If any of those are checked and really the mail accounts thing is kind of exempt from what I'm about to say, but if any of the other three are checked, you will wind up uh, duplicating, potentially duplicating your, your data out there by unchecking this stuff. You might be able to wipe that stuff out on the phone. Um, it gets a little, it gets a little dicey, but, uh, but you can also check and see if you've got duplicate accounts set up. If you go into settings and uh, mail contacts, calendars, you may see local calendars there and you can get rid of those. But um, but hopefully this will get you straightened out. So that's that's what I have to say about that. You got anything to add, John? A rant. I got a rant. Oh, I'm boy. shaking my fist. Go. <laughs> it amazes me, Dave, after all this time. And, you know, being through Palm and other devices that, that there's the possibility of things being duplicated when they're obviously. Yep. Alike. And I remember this on the Palm. I, I, I actually had to get an app called Undupe mm-hmm. when I was syncing with the the, uh, the corporate data source. It, it just still baffles me that, that that any system would say or would allow. It, it should say, wow, you know, the name of the event and the time of the date are alike. Really? Should I sync this again? Yeah, sure. Why yeah, not? Why not? Uh, come on. I, I just don't understand why this is such a problem for any platform that if it sees something that already exists to not resync something that has identical parameters. So again, rant right. off, but come on guys. I mean, uh, unless there's something I don't understand about again, you got the time, the date, the name of the event. Why sync it again? Cut it out. Knock it off. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, I understand programmatically why this is happening. It's they're, well, they're, uni- they're not they're checking for it. In, yeah, right? they're unique in some sense in that they have a unique, you know, event ID or, or something or other. But come on, you know, dig a little bit into the data and just, you know, be kind of smart about it. So. Look a little closer. Right. Don't be shy. <laughs> Um, what a nice voice you have. Oh, all right. You. Go. Uh, all right. So George <laughs> is about to lead us down the rabbit hole. Actually, George has two questions. Uh, and both of them are a little bit in depth, but, but that's okay. That's, uh, that's what we do here for you. 
So George writes, I recently thought about giving mobile me a try again. I say again, because a couple of years ago, I tried it for about a month and gave up on it. So I went to the site to log in using my current me.com login that I also use for iTunes, thinking maybe I could get the 60 day trial to work, but it didn't. It knew who I was and wanted me to pay for a year's subscription. Well, that was a no for me. So I just forgot it. Hmm. This brings me to the console messages I am now getting after looking on the net. This is the only thing I can think of that I did that caused these messages. And what he sees is something from MDNS responder in the console that says registration of record. And then there's some gobbledygook that ends in his short username dot members dot Mac dot com. And it says uh, type 16 failed uh, with an error number six negative six five five six zero. And then he sees the same thing with a tub 12 failed error. All of these prefaced by a bad signature. Uh, and he says, what I've seen and read about is to disable mobile me uh, going into my preference panes. It's already disabled. How do I find what's causing this and get rid of these messages? So I did some reading to George and I did some searching and I found probably the same discussions you did. Uh, certainly one over at the Apple discussion boards. And I think your diagnosis is spot on. And you're right. In theory, you should be able to click the sign out button in the mobile me system preferences. But obviously, that's not an option. And so things get tricky. Uh, you can do this from the command line, uh, what we're about to talk about. But first, make sure you are signed in under the user that matches the uh, username that you're seeing in those in those logs, because otherwise, you know, you, you could have mobile. You could be seeing this for an unrelated user and, and driving yourself crazy. If that's not the case, you go to the command line and it's this big, long command that you're going to run. And we'll have to we'll, we'll just have to paste it into the show notes. Uh, it is it ends with mobile me sync client. And then the first thing you're going to do is type dash dash list clients space dash dash username followed by a space followed by your mobile me username without me.com followed by dash dash password and your password. Again, we'll paste this in. Uh, mm -hmm. And what this is doing is from the command line, you're going out and telling mobile me, hey, I'm here. Uh, tell me what I have registered with you. And that's also going to go through sync services uh, if if my if my memory serves uh, so it'll list a bunch of computers, at least in theory, uh, if one shows up and it might be named, say, George MacBook, uh, then you issue the same command. But instead of list clients, this time you replace that with remove client followed by a space and then the name of that in quotes. Uh, and then your username and password as as described before. Again, we'll paste these in. I, I'm giving the descriptions a cursory glance because you don't want to write this stuff down any more than I want to spell it out to you. <laughs> so in theory, that will do it. Um, I've never I've never seen this quite this way before. So I don't I don't know what's going to show up when he chooses list clients. But that, that would kind of be the next troubleshooting step would be to uh, to head that way and and see what happens. You know, that mobile me system preference pane. It's kind of foobar right right now on this machine. Um, mine tells me that it's still syncing, but I know that it stopped both, both from the logs and from the, the little, uh, uh, widget in the menu bar. It, it's not, there's something wrong with it. You know, again, it's one of those things it, it's worth remembering in a very general sense for, for everything that most of what, maybe all of what you see in system preferences is simply a pretty little user interface that Apple has built for you to manage things that otherwise would have to be mucked about with in the terminal. And so there are going to be some edge case scenarios that really confuse what the, uh, what the underlying code in each of those is looking for. And when it finds something that it doesn't know what to deal, how to deal with, or it hasn't been programmed to deal with, you're going to get some wacky results. And, and in George's case, you know, he's seeing, you know, a, uh, a, a, the the window left in a state that is incorrect, and I'm seeing something again similar here on my end. So, hmm. if I reboot, mine will go away, though. I don't think George's will. So that's that's the difference here. Uh, so that's that's George. Question uh, number one. What what do you think, John? Uh, it ain't right. Well, yeah, that's why he wrote in, man. <laughs> go ahead. All right. Question number two. George says, I have a Windstream DSL modem Speedstream 4200 connected to my WRT54G version 8 Linksys router. 
Uh, I've done some research on this, and apparently I have both of these set up for NAT or NAT. As far as what NAT does, it's a little over my head. I have experimented with changing some of the settings, but when I disable PPPOE on my router, I cannot access the Internet. There again, I don't mind. And he talks about some other things that he's turned on and off that uh, that have either resulted in no change or or detrimental changes. There again, I don't mind tinkering. I just try to remember where things were before I started to get things back going. I have gone into the setup of my Linksys as well, but I must be overlooking where I can turn NAT off. I take that both of these are set up NAT and only one needs to be. Okay, so uh, in a nutshell, George is correct. And what NAT is, it's called Network Address Translation. And in a very basic sense, it's what lets you get one IP address from your internet service provider, your cable company, your DSL company, whatever, and share it amongst all the machines in your house. It's that little bit of magic. Now, what's happening with George is he's getting one IP address from his internet service provider, and then he's sharing that with his router, his Linksys router, which is then sharing that address uh, with the rest of uh, with with the rest of his network. So he's got this double layer NAT thing, and that can cause some problems, especially when you're talking about doing video streaming or Skype or anything, you know, FaceTime, anything where you've got some two way direct connection with somebody elsewhere uh, that, that can start to get really kind of messed up because the routers aren't expecting to have this double NAT scenario and they don't quite know how to deal with it. That's not good. No, and especially Dave in the light of the recent crisis you may have heard of. Which crisis is this? Well, the IP4 crisis. Oh, yes, that's right. We're, we're running well, out. And I saw, well, I saw a little quote here on Twitter that I thought was hilarious. I came here to kick ass and assign IP4 addresses, and I'm all out of IP4 addresses. <laughs> I like that. That's funny. Watch They Live, if you want to understand the... Uh, but, but the problem is IP4, which is a certain address space, is, uh, yeah, they're, they're depleted. So we right. got to go to uh, IP6. But yeah, I, I would agree with you. Double NAT is confusing and, and bad, I think. I, yeah. I, 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 I've never done that intentionally. <laughs> I don't think anybody would. Right. I, I suppose it's possible, but yeah, certainly not recommended. So George, George has fixed this, right? And, and we've talked about this before, uh, but not directly when we talk about getting, you know, setting up a remote base station and putting it in bridge mode. It's the same mm -hmm. thing. You don't want it distributing a whole new range of IP addresses. You want to have one master router in your house. And typically, unless there's some compelling reason otherwise, my advice is pick the router that's closest to your Internet connection to be your master router. So in this case, that's going to be your DSL modem. And that's a good thing because the Linksys router is easier to, to, uh, to disable this stuff than, than your Linksys router or than your uh, DSL router would. So you're right on Linksys firmware. There's no real way of saying, Hey, just turn off NAT. Uh, there's no, there's no NAT button in, uh, in the Linksys firmware. Uh, and, and you access this firmware for Linksys routers by going to their uh, to a web page, the web page of the of the router's IP address. So what you're going to do in a very general sense is you're going to manually assign your Linksys router an address that's in the range that uh, that your DSL modem can serve as. And then you're going to disable DHCP on your Linksys router. Uh, and then you're going to plug your Ethernet cable into one of the LAN ports on the Linksys router and then connect that to your DSL modem. So essentially what you're doing is you are bypassing the fact that your Linksys router has the ability to do any routing and you're just turning it into a hyper intelligent switch uh, that can potentially also do some wireless networking and that sort of thing. So so the real trick is manually assigning the IP address on your Linksys router. And then on that same setup page where you would do that, you're also going to turn off DHCP. So you're turning off DHCP twice. Number one, you're turning it off as the client because normally your router is going to get its own IP address via DHCP. You're going to say, no, I'm going to go manual. And then as far as the DHCP server in the section where the router has the ability to distribute IP addresses, you're going to turn that off as well. So you're essentially dumbing down your Linksys router, the second router in the chain, uh, enough so that it just sits happily on the network and doesn't really do anything. Um, once you've done that, again, there's 
on the back of these Linksys routers, and I think Apple's routers are the same way. They have, you know, if it's a four four port router, typically it's got four ports for your local network and then one port that it calls your internet port that you're supposed to plug into your cable modem or whatever. In this case, you won't have anything plugged into the internet port. You're just going to plug your Linksys router in uh, from one of its network ports into your up to your DSL modem. And that way there's no routing going on. And uh, and that that should work. Uh, you need to. It gets tricky because when you set the IP address of your Linksys router, you need to set it to something in the range that you have. And then you've also got to set your um, your gateway and your subnet mask. Now, my advice to you it would be to plug your Mac directly into your DSL router. Look in your network, con- uh, uh, not control panel, look in network system preferences <laughs> for what it uses for gateway and uh, subnet mask and, and mirror those on your, on your Linksys router and then just come up with an IP address in that range. And off you go that th- there's a lot of nuances here, but that's kind of the that kind of it in a nutshell. Any thoughts, John? Yeah, no, I think you got it. Cool. All right. Uh, all right. We got a couple of short ones and then I think, uh, I think we might be time to wrap this up, but uh, let's see. John, not you, of course, but uh, well, it could be. It could be. I don't think it is. Maybe I will submit a question someday. I actually have a question. I'm going to I'm going to ask and answer at the end of this Ooh. show. Yep. I've got one. It's a good one, too. Uh, OK, so, John, let me write this down, because otherwise I'm going to forget. Uh, <laughs> OK, good. That's good stuff. I'm glad you said that. I had totally forgotten about this thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, so, John writes. In episode 307, you talked about USB booting and said that multiple bootable images on a USB drive are not possible. At the Genius Bar last week, I watched a genius use a triage USB drive on my machine to see if it would boot. That drive had at least six bootable images on it. Suppose we could find out how they do it. And yes, we can. Um, You can't have one partition. You can't boot from an image. And that's what we discussed. However, yeah. yeah, I want to be clear in that images or dot ISO images, which are disk images, at least on the Mac at this point, are not bootable. It'd right. be swell. And we discussed that. That that's aw- It'd be awesome, Dave, if you could load ISO images on a USB stick or a drive and have some sort of boot manager figure it out. But yeah, that'd be great. We're, we're not there yet. Right. However... Uh, you could partition just like you can partition a hard drive. You can partition a USB stick and you can, in, in, given space available, you can put as many uh, different partitions and uh, and and you can configure those partitions any way you want. So you, you could create six partitions like the genius did and then go ahead. And you know, one of them has Mac OS 10, 10.5. One has 10.6. One has disc warrior one has drive genius you know and you're good to go in fact that's a darn good idea i i, I may set something up like this now that i'm reading about it uh but that yeah that's certainly possible have you ever set anything up like that john no though i'm i'm looking back but but the way you can access something like that dave i i believe is oh what is the key is it option or but but the, that's there right. is something in mac os 10 called the startup manager right and if you search on this, but no, it's hold down it, option when you when you right. first hear the chime and keep right. it down until the screen changes. It's going to it's going to pull right. up a list of every device it sees. Right. Yeah. And on any modern Mac or even older, it, actually, no, I'm thinking back. I, I, I did some uh, <laughs> fix up work for uh, somebody who had an old iMac, one of the uh, green ones, I think. But yeah, if you hold down that key, the machine will show you every device that it thinks it can boot from. And then that is always a good thing, especially when you're in trouble. So, right. Right. Uh, okay. And then Daniel uh, wrote in, Daniel had, uh, had an address book sync problem that we talked about in the last premium show. And this is interesting. Uh, he wrote, I tried your suggested method, but it didn't help. So I continued my search and to cut a long story short, I had installed an app on my iPhone called Hong Kong Junk Calls. And what this does is install a single contact record with 200 plus phone numbers called Junk Call so that when you get one, you don't have to answer it. 
You could even assign a ringtone to this that's silent so it doesn't even ring. Uh, this one contact was causing havoc with MobileMe and the sync services process. So I deleted it from MobileMe and all went back to normal. I don't know what the limit is to iPhone phone number or to phone numbers in a single contact, but I think I may have had too many. So that's very interesting. So it was it was a single contact with too many phone numbers that caused the address book sync process to continually spin out of control on uh, on Daniel's Mac. That's pretty hmm. cool. All right. No, and it's then, not. No. Well, I mean, that it's sucks. cool. It's cool that he found it. You know. right. <laughs> All right. So uh, so host Dave writes, uh, I have uh, years ago, I moved to an SSD drive and. I went from having 250 gigs on my Mac down to 128 gigs on my SSD. This has worked out fine, but I'm forever in search of ways to offload things from my main hard drive so that I don't run out of room. Recently, I started hitting the wall again, and I realized it was my iPhone and iPad backups uh, being stored on the drive. So uh, I looked for a way. I'm looking for a way to offload these. Did that, did that read like a question that somebody wrote in, John? Um, John? I'm missing that. Where Where is this? Huh? Yeah, you don't have it in the notes. That's right. It's me, host Dave. You know me, right? Oh, host Hi. Dave. How are you doing? John's just catching up with us folks here. So, uh, so you know, I have I have my iTunes library stored on my Drobo, right? And... Uh, so I can't sync with iTunes when I'm traveling because it's, I don't have my Drobo with me. And that's fine. I, I'm perfectly happy with that. But that also means I don't need to carry around my iTunes backups with me because I can't sync with iTunes while I'm traveling. And, uh, and these backups get pretty big because I put, uh, you know, I load movies. I don't load movies into the videos app on my, um, on my iPad because that requires syncing through iTunes and it's a real mess. Uh, I use Goodreader which is an app that lets you just view all sorts of different media files and I can load movies in there and then I can manually delete them. I can do them over Wi-Fi. I can do them over USB. It works out great. But because of that, it backs up everything in the app. So I've got, you know, backups of these movie files. And so my backups get really big. They were, you know, I had a backup that was like 20 gigs and on a 128 gig drive, that's kind of a burden. So I wanted to move my backups over and I found a way to do it. What I did was I went into my home folder, into library, into application support, into mobile sync. And there's a folder there called backup. I copied that entire folder inside that folder were two things listed. One was and they're both big, long, you know, seemingly gobbledygook numbers. But one was look at that. Right. One was my iPhone four, and one was my iPad. So I took both of those. And, or I took the backup folder, the parent folder, and copied that off to uh, a place on my Drobo. Drobo. Then, uh, once that copy was finished, and it took a while, there was you know sixteen thousand files or something ridiculous in there. Uh, I removed, I deleted the backup folder from my Mac. Then I went into the terminal, and in that folder in the terminal, or in that, yeah, this folder. I created what's called a symbolic link. Now, I think we've talked about a GUI app, uh, a Mac app that'll create symbolic links. But uh, but I did it from the terminal because I'm that kind of guy. And and the way I did it was I, I used the command LN. So I LN space dash S uh, to create. So LN creates a link dash S means it's symbolic. And then I gave the path to my Drobo, which for me, since the drive is called stuff, I put slash volumes slash stuff and then slash path slash two slash backups or you know whatever it is. Uh, and then I hit a space and then I typed the word backup, which created a symbolic link named backup that sits in this home library application support mobile me sync folder. But whenever the system goes to talk to that, it's automatically routed off to my Drobo, assuming it's mounted. If it's not, all sorts of bad things could happen. Really, it would just create another folder and, and save the backups locally again. But, uh, but bad idea. But I know I'm not going to try and sync with iTunes when I'm not here because I don't have iTunes. Uh, I don't have my iTunes library and it would cause all sorts of other problems. So, so that's what I did. And it works absolutely perfectly. Flawless. Uh, so that, I wanted to share that with all of you. Little bit, little bit geeky, but really not that bad. It was one geeky command in the terminal, and that, and that's it. And I backed up a couple of times now, uh, 
And it, it just works fine. I hear the Drobo spin up and it, you know, saves the data off and everything's good. It's going to spin up the Drobo anyway, as soon as it's done backing up to copy any files around. So might as well. So that was my, uh, that was my little tour, my little tour to geek yesterday, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's good. I know. It's good stuff. It's fun doing this show. You get to ask questions. You get to answer questions. And you answered your your own question. I answered my own question. Because I don't have a clue about that. Well, but now you do. You see, you listen to this show, you learn stuff. That's a good thing. (laughs) I could just call you. I know. And Dave, if if I wanted to call you. Oh, I'm glad I mentioned that. I could probably pick up the phone. Well, people know this, but if they don't, I could pick up the phone, Dave, and call you at 206-666-GEEK. Which is 4335. You could also email us. And because you are our elite special premium subscribers, Whoa. you can email us at premium at macgeekgab.com. Yeah. Yeah. Premium at macgeekgab.com. What did you think I said? <laughs> I thought you said premium at macgeekgab.com. And you can see the show notes, of course, at macgeekgab.com. And you can Skype us to macgeekgab. Uh, we would love to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast for converting this and most other episodes to AAC. We skipped AAC on the last one, as you all know, uh, just because of the delays that were already inherent in the process of getting that video and, and audio to you. Uh, Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y, provides all the bandwidth for you. And uh, that's all we got. You got anything else, John? Nope. Stay right. warm. Well, then we, yeah, Get that right. ice off your roof. If you got ice on your roof. <laughs> yeah. Where's my iPhone? Have fun. We'll see you Monday. And uh, don't get caught. Thank <laughs> you.